Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Morning Chat with Julian Hoes. It's 24th April 2020. The weather is 14 degrees in Amsterdam, 12 degrees in Brussels, 19 degrees in Paris, 13 degrees in London, and 20 degrees in Bucharest. Starting off with some good news today. The EU leaders met at the Extraordinary European Council Summit yesterday and have now backed a coronavirus recovery budget plan. The figure has yet to be agreed right now, but the Commission proposal is going up to 2 trillion. Hey Max, we are talking about Russia today, your favourite topic. I'm going to try my best to keep this going and make sure that I'm not making any mistakes. If anybody has any questions, drop them below. I'm going to try to answer them. I'm going to try really hard. But we've got good news coming out of the EU Council Summit. In the next few days, we're going to see... We're going to see figures coming out. The EU is currently putting together a proposal for that would use the multi-annual financial framework, the MFF, to put together some kind of answer to the coronavirus crisis and support the EU countries overall. But that's the good news for today. Now, for today's episode, we're going to be talking about Russia. Now, I don't want people to assume that I'm going to be going down the conspiratorial route because a lot of what's been happening is a lot more nuanced than people think. And I don't think that, uh, personally, that the Russians are as self-destructive and aggressive in certain ways as people believe. But we'll get to that later on. Now, to start off, we'll put down some backgrounds, some figures, the early responses, how the government behaved. And then we're going to move on to the more recent things, border closures, travel shutdowns, and uh, the, um, the behavior of pro-Kremlin uh, trolls, hackers, that kind of thing. Now, to start with, up to date, the, or as of yesterday even, there have been 62,773 confirmed cases, 4,891 recoveries, 555 deaths, and over 2.4 million tests performed across the country. Now, Russia is doing quite well regarding the way it's responding to the coronavirus crisis, and this is down to a number of figures, such as the way it started testing very, very early on, almost as soon as the uh, World Health Organization suggested that countries start doing so back in January. The fact that these early cases were shut down fairly quickly and that it managed to sort of delay the real start of the crisis by a good month or so. And the fact that early on, the majority of the cases weren't really down to Russian citizens, but foreigners who were in the country. Now, the first two cases, starting 31st of January, they were confirmed in Tumen and Chita, and both of these cases were Chinese nationals who were in Russia and who recovered quite easily. And the majority of cases of Russian citizens early on weren't really picked up until the 23rd of February. So these were cases that took place on the Diamond Princess, the cruise ship that ended up getting stuck and was filled with UK, Japanese, French, and a variety of international citizens, including US, as well as some citizens that were caught in Azerbaijan and the United Arab Emirates. Now, of course, we can't be sure about what the early cases looked like because no country had a 100% testing or catching rate when it came to the illnesses, so we have to take every figure that I'm going to share with you guys with a grain of salt because... There are some cases, like my previous case, where it was a suspected case, but it couldn't be tested. So nobody knows if I had it, nobody knows if others had it. We need to be careful. Now, early on, this was looking like it was a positive 
response like Russians were dealing with it because they were one of the only countries that weren't dealing with an out-and-out -out outbreak every other day and a chaotic situation like happened in Italy in the early days in France and the UK. However, it's from the 23rd of February that these cases started popping up here and there and things started to escalate relatively quick, quickly. So some of the first cases when things started getting really bad were situations such as a woman who was in treatment for coronavirus who escaped from a hospital and is apparently still on a wanted list and hasn't been caught. Then there was also a person who fell sick in Italy and returned to Russia before they started showing symptoms and then was unfortunate enough to fall ill and had to be taken into care by the Russian medical services. Now, from this point on, it just spiraled. I won't bore you guys with the details of every single illness that happened, but it, it began to get quite severe quite quickly. As the earlier figures showed, 62,773 cases is just short of the um, supposed Chinese cases and the lower than the French cases. But the Russian healthcare system was surprisingly well prepared, actually, when we think about our perceptions of Russia. Because as of the 19th of March, Russia had over 55,000 beds for those suffering from coronavirus, 12,000 intensive care units, and 296 observatories to look after patients who had corona. Now, this was this is quite high compared to most European states and even compared to states like the US, actually. And according to figures that were made available by Medusa, a media organization in Russia, some regions in Russia actually had more ventilators per 100,000 residents, which is the measurement for these, than entire countries. So I'm going to try not to butcher this name, but Krasnoyarskai had 24.6 ventilators per 100,000 residents than the US, which had 18.8. And this is surprising because you'd expect a country like the US to have far more, but the Russians, they got into motion to combat this quicker. And thank you, I try my best. And they, they got into gear a lot quicker. They managed to get their medical service working quicker. And this may have also contributed to a slower rise in cases earlier on and a lower number of cases than some countries in Western Europe and the West overall. And the government response as well was essential in this. So testing started quickly. According to WHO regulations, countries should have started in January and it started at the end of January. They relied on the WHO recommendations and didn't act like Donald Trump and the US where they criticized the WHO and put all the blame on them. Early on in February, they deported 88 foreign nationals who were breaking or violating quarantine measures and endangering society as a whole. And they also banned the exports of medical equipment such as masks, gloves, suits and bandages as of March the 4th. It was a short period of time until they started releasing aid to other countries, but this may have contributed to the fact that, these kind of, that Russia was able to handle this a lot quicker and a lot better. And as of the 23rd of March, the uh, Russian state had the one of the highest numbers of testing in the world, 165,000 plus. This is so much better than the way a lot of uh, Western European countries have dealt with this. So in France, for example, I don't think we were even close to those numbers. The US wasn't close to those numbers. The UK definitely wasn't close to those numbers, and it still isn't. And on the 9th of April, it passed the 1 million test mark, showing that, and it followed the um, in a lot of ways it mimicked what the german state was doing in 
following a strategy that was primarily about testing, understanding what was happening on the ground with the citizens around the country and making sure that they were aware of where outbreaks were happening, where illnesses were happening, where the worst cases were, and figuring out how to react based on that. This is this was the, this is starting to look like it was the best way to go, if we're entirely honest. Even if it didn't completely eliminate the, eliminate the risk, we have to be honest and say that the Russian case did work well. And I think now, as of oh, yesterday, 2.4 million tests performed. That's a huge number and it helps the government to react to the cases as they pop up and help to deal with this. Now, there were some a progressive travel shutdown as well that led to some diplomatic fallout in Russia. So Chinese citizens were banned from entering Russia on the 20th of February and Italian citizens from the 13th of March. Now, the Chinese case is quite interesting because of the fact that China and Russia, at least to the rest of us outside of their spheres, they portray themselves as being quite close regarding the way they they cooperate and the way they behave in the diplomatic and international world. And uh, my recollection of this was that the Chinese state was um, reacted with a sense of betrayal as it expected Russia to stand by it and didn't expect to be thrown under the bus, as it were, in the way that it felt it was. Now, this was this was entirely understandable. I mean, in the Chinese state was finding itself being shut out of international travel quite quickly. I believe it should have been done quicker once we realized the scope of the actual crisis and this was a you know, this was a step that was important in defending Russian borders, defending Russian citizens and preventing more outbreaks from happening by Chinese citizens trying to escape China and trying to take refuge in the nearest country or nearest allied country such as Russia. Italian citizens were banned from the 13th of March as well due to the fact that they started having cases popping up where citizens had gotten sick in Italy and came back. And this was happening in many states. I remember when I was traveling into Romania, they were asking us if we were coming from Italy. And if we were, there was a good chance we would have been told to just leave the country. That was it. I believe the country will go into mandatory quarantine in a Romanian medical center. So this wasn't unheard of. However, there were some interesting points as well. Trains from Nice in France to Moscow were also suspended, despite the fact that uh, President Emmanuel Macron was trying to build up his international coalition to combat the coronavirus. And in some ways, this was seen as the Kremlin deciding that it was going to go at it alone and avoid international partners, which is quite a big thing. It's It was a slight slap in the face to Macron, who believed that he could have gotten Putin on board early on and sort of build up a stronger coalition. It's still in the process now, but this is quite a big thing. Uh, the borders with Norway and Poland were closed. I believe the borders with Finland were also closed, and all trains were refused from these states and from all states in general. And it, But it wasn't until the 20th of March that all borders were shut down. Now, this is from rail, automotive, this was from uh, air, this is from sea. This was all forms of transport entering Russia was shut down completely from the 28th of March because this is when they started seeing that things were getting worse. However, this doesn't mean that Russia was shutting itself down. The 21st of March, Russia delivered over 100,000 test kits to 13 countries, including places such as Armenia, Belarus, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Serbia, Egypt, 
Venezuela, Iran, and North Korea, who, as we can understand, North Korea had a slow, a slow rise in cases and hasn't had many cases overall. I believe North Korea, due to its isolation, has had the best response to this, but it is how it is. And the 22nd of March is when the Russian army sent medical help to Italy. Now, this is where we get to the interesting stuff where we're talking about soft power and disinformation and the way Russia has been behaving towards other countries. And in a lot of ways, it's been taking Beijing's lead in love-bombing nations that have been struggling with this, sending them medical aid and also broadcasting pro-Russian propaganda while supposedly sowing disinformation at the same time. Now, I want to just caution everybody who's going to be listening to this, everybody who's listening to this now, let's not get into overall overly conspiratorial thinking because there's a lot of factors to this and there's a lot of points that we need to keep in mind when it comes to the way Russia and Russian actors behave in the international arena. Now, so many have said that this is the perfect opportunity to undermine trust in the Western liberal order due to the way in which some countries are failing and very much struggling to deal with this. So we had all of the um, discourse on how Brexit was a Russian success because of the fact that it weakened the European Union. I'm one of those who believes that it was more of a British nationalist success and that the Russian actors had very little to do with it. But we'll, we can discuss this later on if people have questions or if people have things they want to discuss in future episodes. There were... We see a lot of propaganda popping up here and there, particularly from Western, well not from Western, from Chinese and from Russian actors from the state about how these countries are doing more than Western actors such as France, Germany and the EU overall, which is not necessarily the case. So we heard the trumpeting of the Russians are getting involved, the videos of Russian military convoys traveling through Italy, through the mountains handing out equipment to the people, handing out equipment to organizations, and in general using the situation to their benefit to utilize soft power and to sort of push a narrative that Russia was there when the EU wasn't. Russia didn't do this as much as China did, who even tried to rename the coronavirus into the European virus. Absolute nonsense, but again, it is what it is. However, the Russian response hasn't actually been as powerful as people believe. Russia has only donated about 300,000 masks compared to France and Germany, each donating 2 million. And they've only sent a handful of teams that are working in field hospitals that are 80% empty. So they don't have many cases, they're not being put at risk. And this is compared to the, the sheer amount of support that has been given by states such as Romania, by Poland, by the Czech Republic, by the EU overall with the funding and the knowledge sharing and the actions that has been undertaken and supported by the EU through all the member states. And the Italian military actually believed that the Russian the Russian delegation that was supporting Italy in these moments of need were actually acting to gather intelligence to help support efforts back at home. Now, this is entirely possible. We need to be aware that the Russians are quite strong when it comes to their intelligence gathering capabilities. They always have been. It's uh, it's one of those things that they have also always been doing well since 
since they started developing the intelligence agencies in the Second World War and built them up during the Cold War in an effort to combat the US. And the European External Action Service, the main diplomatic and external branch of the EU, has actually discovered 100 cases of pro-Kremlin disinformation between January and March and coordinated campaigns promoting false health information. Now this is why I want to provide caution to people because when we mention pro-Kremlin, this doesn't necessarily mean that it's being run by Putin in the Kremlin or Kremlin agencies. Like every state in the world right now, especially the Western states in the US and the EU, we, the, Russia has a big problem when it comes to uh, cowboy trolls on the internet, um, hacking groups, uh, anti-authoritarians, anti-globalist, populist organizations that aren't necessarily connected to Russia. This isn't to say that the Kremlin doesn't engage in disinformation, but there is a lot happening that you can be sure that the Kremlin isn't running because while in the West we always get this image that the Kremlin runs everything in Russia, that's certainly not the case and there is there is there are weak links in the behavior of the authoritarian Kremlin government, particularly Putin, who aren't aware of everything, they don't control everything and they don't do everything. It's it's just not possible, especially not in this day and age. However, the the EU particularly does need to be quite aware of what's going on and does need to be protecting itself more. I've always been an advocate for stronger cyber power capabilities to defend against these issues. I was, um, I'm quite a big supporter of the ability for the EU to have counter disinformation operations such as the one that was launched during the French presidential elections where fake files were being leaked to keep hackers at bay and keep people at bay and the EU has some of the foremost experts and national leaders when it comes to cyber efforts anyway. We're looking at um, uh, Lithuania, we're looking at Estonia, we're looking at the Netherlands, all three states that are leaders and states such as France and the UK as well as Germany aren't that far behind. Italy also has quite a strong anti-disinformation organization, even if it's been slightly weakened in terms of operational capabilities by previous governments, it still functions. But that is the Russian situation to date. That is how Russia has been behaving overall. There is some good parts, the way they actually cope to the issues, the way they reacted to it, the way they've been defending themselves that are working, but there are also bad parts. I actually forgot to mention that right now the um, health organizer in Moscow is saying that they're looking at a, at a crisis right now in Moscow if they don't step it up, but I believe that this is similar to just about everywhere in the, in the world right now. All states are in a precarious situation where while the infection rates are going down and while deaths are going down, there is always the the fear of a second curve, a second outbreak, but for the time being Russia is handling this well. There are the bad parts where Russia is, primarily in terms of its international behavior, is behaving in a way that is quite aggressive and that is going to impact its ability to actually defend itself. 
However, we're going to see how this develops. I hope that the individual who asked this question is happy with the response. If there's any questions that you think that you would like additional responses to, you know, respond to my tweets on Twitter. Like, just ask any questions you want. I will answer them. This is what I enjoy doing. I'm happy at having a good time doing this for you guys. So please keep the questions coming. Send me emails at julianhoes at protonmail.com. Message me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. You can probably even find my email on Gmail. And you can just send me your questions. Send me the topics you want me to answer. The next episode is going to be on Monday the... Let's see. Monday the 27th. Where the main question I'll be answering is... What are the different responses being touted by the EU to coronavirus? How are we how are we doing at the European level and where are we going? And again, if anybody has any other questions, I will add those to the list. But for now, thank you for tuning in, guys. I hope that you learned something about Russia's response to the coronavirus. I hope that you guys are having a good time right now. You're coping, you're handling this. My recommendation is just watch the West Wing all day every day it'll get you through the coronavirus crisis but aside from that make sure that you're getting the exercise you need to keep your mood up make sure you're talking to your friends and make sure that you're looking after yourselves have a lovely friday have a lovely end of the week have a lovely weekend and thank you very much guys have have a good time look after yourselves and see you monday take care